Hello and welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast. My name is Richard Putherer and I'm here with my co-host, business partner and wife, Nina. We are the founders of Inspired Equity, the London-based investment business that specialises in property acquisition and development. And between us, we are world record holders, international investors, prolific networkers, speakers and coaches, and it is our absolute pleasure to introduce our podcast. On this show, we'll be discussing all aspects of successful property investing, covering everything from simple buy-to-let properties to multi-million pound developments. We'll be interviewing industry leaders and hosting live Q&As with expert panels and keeping you up to date with the ever-changing and exciting world of property. So tonight, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Barry White to you. Barry is a property investor and developer, and following a 30-year career in service accommodation, Barry transferred this experience into the property sector, and he really specialises in taking control of properties using lease options. Barry has also taught lease options to, well, the strategy of lease options to thousands of property investors over the years, and in the last five years, also single-handedly introduced lease options to the Scottish market. So Barry's going to be talking to us all about the, uh, the wonderful strategy of lease options, what they are and when to use them. Barry, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Nina. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thanks, first of all, to Richard and Nina for inviting me on. Um, and disturbing your Wednesday evening. Um, it's good to see you, but hopefully we've got some, uh, I've got a bit of information for you that, that it's quite an interesting time in terms of strategies that, that we do and, and we teach uh, at the moment with the economic climate, with the situation that we're in, et cetera, et cetera. Before I get into that, I'd like to, to spend uh, a few minutes um, telling you about why I'm here, what, what I do, who I am, um, and how I, I come more than anything to be into uh, property, which was actually quite a bizarre start for me. Um, so my corporate background, as Richard has already, already alluded to, was hospitality. Um, so I worked in hotels, restaurants, uh, nightclubs, uh, holiday parks, uh, serviced accommodation, uh, sort of flats, all that sort of stuff. Um, and when I left that world behind me in 2005, um, I got a very, very good job. I was on the board of the largest nightclub operator in the country. Um, I used to run the commercial department latterly. I used to run the commercial department of that, that company. And I had a, a, a spending budget of about half a billion pounds, about 500 million pounds. Um, I had a fantastic salary package, um, but I was working a minimum of, of 80 hours a week. Um, and other than work, I didn't have a life. Um, so we decided, my wife and I, um, that we we were not going to uh, we're not we're going to carry on with that. We needed to see see each other. Uh, in fact, we weren't even married at, at the time when um, we've been together thirty four years. It took us twenty years to decide to get married. Uh, wanted to make sure that we're all okay and fit for each other. Um, 
but basically when when we left the corporate world and she was in the corporate world as well um my wife and i moved to spain we used to move to the lovely island of mallorca um and started don't ask me why we started a, a very very successful import business and we used to i used to go over to china uh, to seoul to hong kong um buy loads of what i would call tourist tat stick them in uh, uh, two or three uh, containers import them into spain and sell them to the uh, the spanish tourist shops um so that was our that was our business uh, we did very very well uh, in the first sort of three years that we were there and then the uh, the bottom started to fall out of the market we were about to go into a, a global recession um big crash 2007-2008 which actually coincided with uh, my father-in-law uh, my elderly father-in-law uh, becoming very ill and subsequently dying and we decided to move back to the UK um, but we sold a house we sold our business um, and left the majority of stock that we've got in the import business uh, in Spain um, and if anybody's ever worked in Spain or operated in Spain um, shall we say they have a, a very odd economy where you literally keep half of your money in your divan bed um, that on it, and it, over there it, it's literally uh, there's no tax people on um, it literally is sort of two euros for, for you and one euro for the for the tax man in Spain um, but we left a load of stock there and came back to the UK we didn't realize because we had been out of the country for more than three years um, we didn't realize how much trouble we would have a getting a bank account because we really struggled to get a bank account um, we couldn't even get a mortgage we hadn't got a property uh, to move back to because we sold everything before we we, we moved over um, and we decided that we were going back to that dreaded thing that we called a job uh, so we've got a, a, a bit of a uh, across the road, literally from um, my mother-in-law. Um, we've got a, a job in a hotel as a management couple. We lived and worked in a small uh, seven-bed hotel in St. David's in southwest Wales. Beautiful part of the world. And we worked there for probably about 12 months and uh, wasn't paid to the earth but we had a good lifestyle um, and then on the 24th of december 2009 half past three in the afternoon when everyone was uh, out doing their last christmas last minute christmas shopping um i was starting in front of an oncologist to be told that i got stage four cancer um hell of a kick in the uh, uh, in the meat and two veg uh, quite frankly um, as a Christmas present be told that on, on Christmas Eve um, and I, I cannot tell you how how much of a surprise apart from anything else that was I'd gone to the hospital on my own I didn't realize that it was so serious I had to come back um, and tell my wife then I had to leave wales 
that evening come back and tell my, my two grown-up children uh, on Boxing Day, didn't say anything on, on Christmas Day, we told them on Boxing Day. Um, but you get over that and fortunately they and we've all seen over the last few months that the national health service is when you really really need the national health service it is the most wonderful organization in the whole world and i, I really really do mean that um and i met a, a very 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 talented guy uh, who was my oncologist um he he said don't worry about it he says you, you you've got a a good chance. I said, what's a good chance? He says, you've got a 50-50 chance of making it. I said, 50-50, that's a good chance. If I've got a 50-50 chance of winning the national lottery this week, right, that's, that's good odds. Whether I'm going to live or die or not, not so much. But there we are. I'm still here. Ten years on, I'm still, still here. Um, it's quite interesting, though. On the last day of my cancer treatment, and we went through some, uh, or I went through some serious uh chemo radiotherapy um on the very very last day i go back to the hotel um where my wife's having a a conversation with the area manager at the hotel chain that we're working for um and he saw me now at this stage i'd lost all my hair um and this was what, five six months on i'd lost all my hair i'd lost half my body weight I believe it or not, I weighed less than eight stone at that stage. And uh, the area manager said to me, ah, Barry, it's good to see you. You're looking well. Um, but I think it's about time you stop playing in cancer now and you got yourself back to work. That was the moment that I decided that I would never, ever work for anyone else again. And... After some research, we came across um, uh, an advertisement for an investment training company to, uh, to train in property. Um, something I wasn't that bothered about, but my wife, for some reason, decided that she didn't want to get into property. Um, and it was accredited by Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad fame. So we, th we thought it must have some credibility so we went along did the training the rest as they say is history i i now uh, amongst other things um i teach uh, and mentor and coach for, for that organization as as i do with my my own training company um so now what have we got we've got five or six property related businesses um one of which is a training company. We've got an HMO furniture company. We've got a sizable uh, property portfolio. Um, and one of the most rewarding things that I do is I'm a volunteer mentor for Prince Charles's Princess Trust. Um, and what we do there is to take uh, people from a different uh, disadvantaged background um normally sort of 18 to 30 uh, they just put the the age up um and teach these young adults uh business startups and we do a sort of dragon's den type thing and then we we tell them how to set the business up the marketing the plans etc etc um very rewarding and they get a two-year free mentorship from the prince's trust so very very good uh, from their point of view as a property portfolio began to grow 
Um, we've got two by tolets, great. Uh, not pulling a penny trees, but they were earning us about £150 per month. Um, and the third property that we came across was a disused 15 bed bed and breakfast uh, that was on the market for £145,000. Um, my wife thought it would make a great HMO, even though we always said that we wouldn't invest in South Wales, we wouldn't invest in HMOs, we wouldn't invest in social housing. Um, I said that I didn't want it, she said that she did, so obviously uh, we end up putting an offer in uh, and getting it accepted. Um, the problem was that even though it was £145,000, because it was a commercial property, um, we needed a 40% loan-to-value deposit to put into the property, with it being commercial. Um, so we were looking for somewhere in the region of about £58,000, um, and we didn't have it. We, we tried all sorts of things to try and get the money, um, and we were about 50 probably about £57,950 short of the deposit. Um, but um, then we thought to ourselves, hmm, what about these lease option things that, that we've, uh, uh, we've been taught uh, during the course of the training? Um, and we'd recently just finished the, the, a three-day lease option training at the time. Um, we thought we'd give, they'd, that we'd give that a try. I went to see the seller, the vendor, um, and basically I sat there and offered the guy one pound to take control of his uh, £145,000 building uh, for the next uh, five years. Um, he thought I was mad. Um, I thought he was going to have a, a, a fit when I, I, uh, I, I told him what my offer was going to be. Um, but through talking to his bank and his circumstances were, and I'll tell you a little bit about circumstances shortly, but his circumstances were the fact that he was being bullied by his bank manager because he wasn't paying uh, his loan, his outstanding loan, actually on the property. He'd not paid anything for about 10 months. Uh, so she was bullying him to try and get him to sell it. Um, he thought he'd sold it. He thought I was going to buy it in the normal way. It wasn't going to wasn't going to happen. We, we literally couldn't get uh, the deposit together. So um, after a conversation with both the, the seller and his bank manager, um, it was uh, Barclays Commercial that, that said, yeah, OK, we uh, we're happy to go with this. If the seller is, the seller was delighted because it was going to get his bank manager off his back. Um, and we turned the property into a 10 bed HMO. Um, that's still, uh, how many years on now? Eight years on, seven and a half, eight years on, that still cash flows is just under 2000 pounds. Um, we've subsequently bought it. Um, and because we were paying the mortgage during the course of the time that uh, we had the lease option on it, um, that mortgage, because it was commercial, it was capital and repayment mortgage, which meant every time we paid the monthly fee, which off the top of my head was about 
£1,007. We bear in mind it was his mortgage, not ours. Um, then the price of the property or, or the outstanding balance of the property was actually coming down. So we set the option agreement to pay at the end of the five-year term the outstanding balance of the mortgage and not the £145,000. Okay. Um, that took some getting over the line because it took some convincing of the seller to actually do this. Um, and quite interesting, six months later, he, he rang and said, I've got another three. Can we do the same sort of deal? Yeah. Um, and to this day, we, we are. So now we've got four properties through him. Um, all we put, put them all on lease options. And between the four of those properties, we enjoy a cash flow every month of about £12,000 a month just off of those properties that we paid in real terms. Yes, we paid his legals, but in real terms, we paid uh, £4, £1 each for each one of those four properties. Not to buy them, but to control them yeah, for a period of time. So, the, why lease options and why now? Um, I honestly believe that we are, we're in two situations at the moment. We are in a buyer's market for property at the moment. It's just the fact that nobody's told the sellers. Yeah, That will happen over the course of the next few months. Um, but we are in a buyer's market. And... If you're in property, if you've been putting offers out and you've not been getting anywhere and they've been, the estate agents have been charging ridiculous amounts of money, um, which, I mean, I, I refer what's happening with, with uh, estate agents and property to, uh, to somewhere like Tesco or Sainsbury's. If Tesco's or Sainsbury's have been closed for five months, yeah, and then all of a sudden they open their doors, they would have a queue of people outside wanting to buy bread and milk that Tesco could sell at whatever price that they wanted. I, I feel that estate agents have done exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, but now over the last three or four weeks, we're starting to see properties come back on the market, right? In earnest, we are in a situation where not just our students, but ourselves we are getting estate agents again now ringing us and saying that offer has fallen through would you like to put in another bid uh, would you like to offer again or does your offer still stand um so the tide already is starting to uh, is starting to turn the other thing as i said i think that that we are in the eye of the perfect storm at the moment right Everything's quiet as far as the property market is going, starting to go quiet again. Um, and over the next six to 12 months, I think the property market is going to take, um, it's it going to have such a, a, a massive impact on all our lives, whether you are buying or whether you're selling or whether you are uh, residential mortgage owners. Um, and, and we, how do we know that? Because in times of recession, 
trends and patterns tell us that professional investors make fortunes in property investment uh, irrespective of whatever causes the recession irrespective so this time it's covid that, that has caused the recession that is going to cause the the booming unemployment that we're going to end up with a tax tax increase over the next sort of few months and years it's inevitable to be able to pay what the government have actually uh, spent on on covid um in 2000, 2007, 2008, uh, it was the collapse of the subprime lending market in the US that caused the, the, uh, the recession. Um, and the one previous to that, 1990, 1991, it was the, monetary, the global monetary policy of all the central banks around the world. Um, the oil prices that went through the roof in 1990. Um, and the, because of that, the high interest rates and inflation. That's what caused those three things, COVID, um, the, the subprime market uh, and the central banks and the oil price, of course, the last three recessions yeah, over the last 20 years or so. But irrespective of what causes that recession, the economic fallout on the housing market will always follow a, a, a certain pattern. Yeah. And the pattern we are already starting to see, um, and we're starting to see job losses. Yeah, unemployment figures announced, I think, on Monday uh, for September is now running at 4.8%. Yeah, in, in numbers terms, that is just short of a million job losses since COVID began. And furlough has not even finished yet, and he's not due to finish until March of next year. That is where we are at the moment. This will sadly, in turn, mean that as people lose their jobs, some people will start to lose their homes. Because the thing about mortgage properties, if you have more than £16,000 equity or £16,000 in assets or in savings, that you cannot apply to the government to have any housing benefit. Yeah. If you rent a property, it's not a problem. But if you've got a mortgage, you can't. You have to sell the house first. Um, so because people won't be able to uh, pay the mortgages, or some people won't be able to pay the mortgages, they will need to sell up and rent. So there's going to be more homes on the market. If there are more homes on the market, property prices will go down. Right. It's simple supply and demand. What those people are going to do in the main is going to start renting properties, yeah, which means there are going to be less properties for them to rent. Yeah, if there are less properties to rent, the market rents will go up. Yeah, so had back into that that some people are going to going to be in negative equity, and sadly again will face repossession. We as property investors with some degree of integrity need to find a solution and a way that we can build our property portfolio whilst at the same time helping these people. Yeah. Now, bear in mind that, that some people won't be able to sell their properties 
because the market prices will be too low. And with lease options, we can actually help them. Some people will need to move because their financial circumstances are going to change. We can help them. We've got lease options that, that we can help them with. If you know how to do this strategy, yeah, and you know how to do it right, then we can create a win-win solution that everybody is going to be happy with. Yeah, they are not going to be happy about having to sell the home that that they have paid for, they thought they was going to be the forever home, etc. But what, what is the alternative? They need a house over the, sorry, they need a roof over their head. Um, and lenders uh, and, and central banks, whenever there's a recession, um, believe you may become very, very ruthless. Uh, if you are not paying your mortgage, uh, they are going to be knocking on your door. It's as simple as that. Um, so, excuse me. One of the, uh, I'm trying to say apologies, one of the side effects of having head and neck cancer is the fact that my mouth goes very dry when I'm, when I'm speaking a lot. So that, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a hot drink. Um, so <clears throat> what, what exactly is a lease option? For those of the, that don't know where a lease option is, uh, the simple def definition is this, is it, it's a lease, right, or rent, yeah? Um, so you rent a property for a period of time with an option to buy it at the end of the rental period, the agreed rental, rental period, okay? So you take a lease out, you pay a small deposit, yeah? Uh, what we call a fee, an option consideration fee. In my case, um, with the first property was a pound. It was a pound because there was no equity in the property. And that's why it's as, as low as you possibly can. A pound is, is the legal requirement in, on the UK law to, to uh, transact a, a legal contract. So you pay the option fee, you pay the monthly payments, which is effectively is the mortgage. Um, and in our case, we would pay the seller's mortgage every month. Yeah. And at the end of the period, whatever that is, in my case, five years, we have the option then either to buy it at the agreed price or to give it back to them. Yeah. Because the market at that stage is going to be probably sub substantially different to what it was five, seven, ten years ago, whenever uh, we actually started the auction. And it's exactly the same. Anyone that's got a car on, on PCP, right? It's very, very similar to that, where you pay a deposit up front or a fee up front. Yeah? You pay the monthly payments. And at the end of the agreed period, lease period, um, you have the choice of either doing a balloon payment and buying it outright, or you give it back to the company that you've got the, uh, the agreement with. So that, that's um, a lease option uh, in a nutshell, really. That, that, that's how it works. Um, so with lease options as a strategy, um, we're in a position to help a lot of people. Um, and whatever reason they want or they need to sell the property, right? we can help them maybe not sell them or buy the property at that moment in time, but certainly give them time for the market to change 
and get rid of the the reason immediately of the reason that they actually want to sell that property. And what we're doing is, is future proofing the price uh, that they pay because at the end of the term, let's say five, seven, ten years, um, both the buyer and the seller can take advantage uh, at the market value or the market prices um, at some time in the future because property prices will always go up right property prices will always go down but they always go up and down in an upward direction how do we know that for the older people amongst us right if you can remember how much your first house cost you yeah and then think what that is worth you bought it 20 30 years ago yeah and think about what that house is worth now yeah it, it you wouldn't have believed it at the time when you bought it how much it would be worth and startling fact don't ask me why i know this but it's true um records show that property prices started being recorded in 1926. since 1926 property i wasn't around then i don't know i've just read it yeah um, property prices started being recorded in 1926. Since then, property prices have increased by 47,000% on average. Put that into perspective, yeah? If you bought a pack of butter in 1926, with the same 47,000% increase, a pack of butter now, would be worth about 25 pounds or that's what you would have to pay for it okay um so <clears throat> the biggest thing when i ever do any of these talks is people say yeah but why on earth would somebody want to give you control of their properties for a pound or a thousand pounds or three thousand pounds or whatever yeah um and walk away and we we talk about and we call it the power of circumstance because what none of you know are the circumstances that each one of your vendors are in that you put an offer with in for a property via an estate agent because you never ever get to see them to ask them yeah so what we do in in lease options is all of our all of our options are direct with vendor We've got to be direct to vendor Right. And what we are wanting to do is to ask them, what is the real reason? What is the pain that they have got that means that they need to sell their property at the, that moment in time? And most of all, it's not generally because they need the money. It's because there is some sort of other circumstance going, going on in the life, whether they're getting divorced, whether they, they're moving to another country, whether there is an economic recession they can't afford the mortgage etc 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 divorce is a classic i've got a friend who's a divorce solicitor and their uh, the number of cases that, that have gone to them at the moment has increased by about 80 percent since covid started yeah because normally they can just about get over the two week christmas new year period uh, when they don't like each other couples don't like each other right we've all been together for about seven or eight months now yeah um so yeah so, so so think about that but you need to 
you need to get to the real reason or the pain that the, and how you can help that person. The only way you can do that and to get the deal over the line is by actually physically meeting the seller and asking. And I say physically meeting. I've done an awful lot of seller meetings. In fact, I've done one uh, this afternoon uh, on Zoom. Yeah, so we're, we're Zooming now our meetings with vendors. Um, but it needs to be win-win uh, for, for both parties or even more. Um, the win for the seller is the fact that their pain has been solved, whether it is financial pain, whether it is the pain of getting away from a partner that they don't want to live with anymore, whether it's the fact that they've got loved ones in another country that they want to go and live with. Yeah, the pain for the seller we have solved. The win for you is the fact that you control the property without paying a 25% deposit. You haven't had to get a mortgage on it because you're using the this, this seller's mortgage and you don't have to get credit checks. Yeah, so it doesn't matter whether you're on contracted, you're a contract worker, uh, you've got a bad credit file, anything like that, you can still get a lease option uh, in this way. So that is a massive win for you. It's also a win for the bank because the bank get their mortgages paid and banks love people paying their mortgages on time. Yeah. Um, and the other person that it's a win for is the new tenant because they have got a new home. Because those people will come out of those properties and move on wherever they go, whether they're going to another property that they've bought or whether they're going to a rented property. Yeah, they will move on. And then a tenant, you have found, you can find then a tenant, a new home, because we will rent that out to generate some, some income. But what you need to know in all of this, and yeah, there are legal questions, what you need to know is how to negotiate. And this is the biggest thing, and I get asked all the time. How do I say to someone, I know you want £200,000 for your house, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you a pound now, and I'll give the other £999, uh, whatever it is, in seven years' time, ten years' time, whatever. Yeah, That, that takes some... Uh, uh, some thought process to be able to get that over the line yeah uh, and it's all about communication negotiation is about communication yeah i mean i've studied i'm a, a master uh, nlp practitioner i've studied with a guy called uh, dr richard bandler who is the guy that was the co-founder of nlp um i've also studied psychology uh, amateur psychologist um in order to teach people what we call soft skills yeah and it's soft skills negotiation, which is how do you build rapport? How do you get people to know, like, and trust you? Yeah. And how to get loads of information from people without actually them even realizing that you are asking them the questions. And if you do that, you would be surprised what people tell you. Yeah. Um, I mean, how cool would it be to ask someone a question? Um, that they give you an answer without hesitation, but if you ask them in the normal way, they wouldn't tell you the answer to. Yeah? And that is about getting them to know, like, and trust you. Because if they trust you, trust me, they will tell you anything. And they will absolutely tell you anything. 
Yes, of course, there are legal consequences uh, of doing lease options. Uh, and we teach how these strategies with, with sellers are done with a win-win in mind. Um, and the one thing that we do, whatever we do and however we do it, when we're speaking to a vendor, uh, we have a great deal of uh, integrity and morality. Because the one thing that people miss about property is the fact that it really is not about property. When you are dealing with people and you're buying their, effectively on a regular basis, you're buying their homes, yeah? You are dealing with their lives, yeah? And it's, it's not, to us, it's not about buying property, right? It's about helping people. This is a people business. Property is a people business, not it's not about property. Yeah, the, 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 if, you can, if you can help someone along the way, you've got that sort of uh, reciprocity, yeah, to help people that wouldn't otherwise be able to move on with their lives. They wouldn't be able to move their properties and whatever reason they wouldn't be able to start it. Um, so in our business, we've seen a number, number of people approaching us um, since lockdown. Um, asking us for that impossible solution. We talk about an impossible solution. And quite often we've got something like 74 ways to give them impossible solutions. Yes, it doesn't mean that, that, that they have sold the house and they walk away forever, um, but we can certainly absolve them temporarily for three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, however long is on the mortgage technically, yeah? of the financial responsibility of the hassle of having to look after tenants, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And from our point of view, since the beginning of March, our business has increased threefold. Yeah. And there are so many people coming to us and saying, can you give us that impossible solution? With the economic climate, I think that's ahead of us over the next couple of years, um, that will just continue to increase. It really will. So I firmly believe we're in the eye of what I would call the perfect storm. Yeah. So all of you that are into property, uh, I'd like to leave you with one bit of advice. It is we're heading for a storm in terms of the property market and the economic market over the next uh, two or three years. Right? Either batten down the hatches or go out and put your waterproof coats and boots on and go and help some people who will be struggling to sell their properties. And whilst you're doing that, you can make some money for yourselves. Thank you. Barry, thank you. That was exceptional and brilliant um, advice. Thank you so, so much. Um, we've got a bunch of questions that have come in. Before uh, we start asking these questions to you though, I wanted to pick up on one point because I think it's such an important one and you, you, um, you covered it so eloquently, but I wanted to sort of underline it again. You know, there's, there's many people that aren't in property that look at property investors and at these uncertain times can consider us to be vultures. You know, um, we're um, preying on, on people that are vulnerable, um, but um, it, it's not when there's um, greater things at stake uh, and you were able to um, help these homeowners through these difficult times. Uh, um, but I, I love the way that you um, you so perfectly cover the fact that it's actually 
helping people out and providing a solution for a predicament that they're in. The, um, I, I'm going to ask um, the first questions and, um, and uh, then Nina will take over from me. And the, there's been some questions in about flips, so I'm going to try and wrap them into, uh, um, into one. Um, first of all, we're being asked whether flips will be a good strategy for the next six to 12 months because people are um, losing their jobs, you know, they might need to sell their, their house. But then the part two and three of that question is, what's the best strategy to find flip opportunities at the moment? And then will they be able to sell them um, because of the uh, obviously oversaturation in the market? And the reason I wanted to wrap all those questions into one, and I'll, I, I can recap if you'd like me to, is because it might be a great opportunity to talk about the assisted sale uh, type lease option strategy um, that will help people secure these properties with very little capital required. Okay, so let me <clears throat> let me start with the last thing that you said first. Um, the in terms of um, in terms, can you make money? Is it a good strategy? Um, if you get, regardless of what's happening in the market, regardless of what's happening in the, the economy, yeah, we make our money when we buy the property. That is the big thing. We make our money when we buy the property. And if you buy the property at the right price, then you are still going to make money on it. That's the first thing. Second thing, how do we find these flips or, no, I'll answer the, the middle one first. Um, is it a good strategy? Yes, of course it is. Because if you buy it at the right price, you can afford to sell it for slightly less than you would normally sell it for. And, and whenever people are, are investing in property, are trained to invest in property, they're, they're always told that you've got to have sort of two or three exit strategies, yeah? If you are doing a flip, let's put lease options to one side for a second. If you're doing a flip and there is a hundred thousand pounds profit in a flip, and I will always say that the flips work better at 150,000 pounds or more, buy to let's work at a hundred thousand pounds or less. Yeah. Generally, I'm not, I'm, this is my, my opinion, but generally simply because at if you buy a house that you are going to flip at, at 70,000 pounds and you want 10,000 pounds profit out of it, yeah, you are only going to make 7,000 pounds profit. Yeah. 7,000 pound profit, it is very, very easy for something to go wrong and that be swallowed up. Yeah. At 150,000 pounds, 10, 10% profit is 15,000 pounds. So your margin is much is much bigger, you have much less, uh, you have much more of a, a contingency in there if something goes wrong, yeah? And as you go up the scale, uh, and typically we, we're doing flips, sort of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 800,000, yeah? If you've got a, a property where there is 200,000 pounds worth of profit in it, once you've developed the property, Three exit strategies could be that you sell it for the 100,000, you could sell it for 80,000, you could sell it for 60,000, you could sell it for, for 40,000 pounds worth of profit. 
and it still means that that if you knock let's say eighty thousand pounds off the price and you've got a hundred thousand pounds worth of profit in it you're still all right sadly you're now only coming out with twenty thousand pounds yeah um but you are coming out with twenty thousand pounds so that is another exit strategy so the advice i would give you if you are going to do flips yeah always make sure that you've got plenty of fat in the deal yeah particularly with the circumstances that that we are going to go into over the next few uh, months and years the first point if i remember remembered them in order is that how do we find flips right so if you do not write anything down other than what i'm going to say now please write this down yeah the best deals do not come from estate agents yeah the best deals do not come from estate agents yeah um i i'm i'm uh, i i've got a student that, that dropped me a text this morning and said that because she has been doing some direct to vendor marketing been putting some leaflets through some doors uh an estate agent as ranga right and had the lady in tears because the estate agent said how dare you start marketing to buy properties in my area yeah <laughs> i don't like estate agents we've no estate agents on with i hope not no um but the best the best deals do not come from estate agents because once the property has been soured or the seller has been soured by a, a, an estate agent right they will believe what the estate agent says yeah we used to say a few years ago go out and ask anyone in the street what profession lies lies the most other than politicians everyone will always say estate agents yeah until they come into your house and tell you that your two hundred thousand pounds house yeah is worth three hundred thousand and they believe them yeah uh, and that is one of the sort of little tricks that I always joked, I always put in when I'm having a conversation with a vendor. Yeah. So flips, great. Um, yes, they will still work very well. Get them at the right price. Get them from direct to vendor. So get some direct to vendor marketing out there. And if all else fails, remember you've got what exactly what Richard you've just been talking about, which is um what we call an assisted sale an option assisted sale which is basically where we get control of the property normally because the seller hasn't got the funds to be able to refurbish it to be able to sell it at the value that the market uh that that, that, that is uh, right for the market and right for that particular property yeah so they have to try and sell it at a much lower price you come in you fund the, the refurbishment 15 20 30 40 50 thousand pounds and then you sell it for a profit you have an agreed price that you're buying it from from the seller yeah and then you might want to split the profit you might split the the uplift the profit uplift capital appreciation uplift maybe 50 50 maybe 70 30 because you put the money and the work into it maybe 90 10 yeah but it's all about how you negotiate with the actual uh, negotiate with the seller and quite often it can mean that the seller ends up with more money in that case 
than they would if they sold it in the normal way. And bear in mind, by doing that, you don't actually buy it. The end user buys it, yeah, which means that you also haven't got to incur stamp duty, capital gains tax, six-month rule, none of that going on, right? It is a straight transaction between the seller and the new buyer. Thank you, Barry. Great answer. Um, I, I've got a question here. Um, do you think that there'll be a, um, a certain demographic that will be hit more than others in the up and coming downturn? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it'll all be pro rata. I mean, one of the things that I was having a look at today um, was just what type of people have, have lost their jobs during lockdown, right? Um, there, there is, I, I think the combined number of airlines, yeah, um, I, th I think there is something like three and a half thousand pilots that, that have lost their job. Yeah. Now, with the greatest of respect, those pilots will not live in a two up, two down, 60,000 pounds in the north of England. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be pro rata depending on um on where you are, what you're doing, will it will it will it hit geographically? Probably a little bit, yes. And I think, to be honest, it'll hit the south more than it will hit the north, um, simply because the the north can't go much further down. I can say that I live here, yeah. Um, but but yeah, you've got to understand what the what people are losing the jobs at all levels. Blue collar workers, white collar workers, junior management, middle management, senior management. So I don't think it will be down to a certain demographic at all. It would be pro rata, but not really. Okay, thank you. Another question I have here. Um, please, please, can you ask Barry, um, has he used court listings to look for people defaulting on their mortgages? Um, and contact the vendor directly that way? Um, we never do. And we do that from a morality point of view. I mean, Richard mentioned the word earlier um, about vultures. Yeah. Um, that, to me, um, wouldn't be in good taste. Yeah. Um, when, when people say to me, how do you find a lease option? Yeah. I will always say that you find a lease option with your ears, not with your eyes. Yeah. I don't know when my director, vendor, director vendor marketing says that I'm buying properties. It's only when I get to see the vendor and I have a conversation with them that, and I find out, as I said, what their pain is and what is the reason that they're actually wanting to sell the property that I can judge whether or not it is likely to be a lease option. But no, I, I, don't, I don't try and shortcut the system um, by going to the court hearings or anything like that. Brilliant, Th thank you, Barry. I, um, the the distinguish, um, distinguishing facts between the, the rogue and the great property investors is morality and doing the right thing. There's plenty of opportunity out there and uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear that, that approach. 
And um, before I go to the, the next, I've got a couple of good questions lined up for you. Uh, there have been a few questions, and I think you know, I know you've adequately covered them about you know, how do you find um, uh, these opportunities, and then there's talk about um, how do you deal with them when there's um, estate agents in the way. Um, but I want to delve into, you've covered that, but I delve into a marketing strategy. What is the best way to market um, the um, this to um, uh, the vendor, so direct to vendor? Um, the, the biggest hit that we are getting at the moment and has been for some time now is social media. Yeah. Now, um, we predominantly use Facebook. Um, we use some paid advertising on Facebook, but most of it is free. So basically what we will do, we'll, we'll go into the sales and wants groups and um, we will put uh, just a lineage ad, not a gold mine ad or any, not I'm a professional property investor. Here's a thousand pounds if, if you, uh, if you buy your, if you find us someone that is going to um, uh, sort of give us their house or whatever. Um, but go on the sales and wants groups. That's what they are there for, right? Yeah. People go on there to buy and they go on there to sell, right? You are wanting to buy someone's house. Yeah. They are wanting to sell it. So there's no pitching or anything like that. Um, the beauty of Facebook, of course, is the fact that, that uh, you can get to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in a very short space of time. Yeah. And typically we will have, uh, we've got a VA that, that, that will do a, a, a targeted marketing campaign predominantly to, to sales groups. I know that I can, I can uh, post in my area uh, or one of my areas, which is where I live now. Um, there are probably 10 or 15 groups that when I post them, I know that that is going out to somewhere in the region of a million people. Yeah, there is a very, very large percentage chance that some of that million people are going to wanting to be selling that selling the house. There is also a very large percentage that over the course of the next few months, they're going to have had those properties on the market for some considerable time and they've not sold. And remember that the biggest reason that a property is not sold yeah, generally, unless there's something intrinsically wrong with the property, is the fact that someone's put it on at too high a price. Yeah, it is that they it is not perceived as being the market value. Otherwise, someone would have bought it, or some lender would have lent someone the money to buy it. So yeah, Facebook's the biggest one. Um, the other thing is is talking to people. Every single person I speak to, yeah including and I, I think you might have you might have heard the the, the, the story at some stage Richard um, that, that I used to tell when I was training that that I if I get any unsolicited calls with it be from insurance companies uh, or uh, PPI companies or anything like that before I let them speak I say oh, can I just stop you right do you know anybody that's selling the house yeah make every single person yeah your sourcing agent. Yeah, I, I've done it. Seriously, I've done it. And, and I had one guy, uh, I was in Richmond, I, I was working in, uh, in Costa uh, next to Richmond uh, Station. Um, one guy that called me asking about my PPI insurance. And 
uh, I said, before you do that, uh, do you know anyone's selling the house? He says, well, actually, yeah. My landlord has just given me and my, my flatmate notice because he's selling his portfolio, right? Within 40 minutes, I'd got a 16-strong portfolio landed on my email from this guy's landlord. Unfortunately, I had to then go through the PPI insurance claim with him, right? But it's there, right? 16 strong portfolio in London that this guy's this guy's landlord was selling. Speak to every single person you can and say, do you know anybody that's selling your house or their house? That is brilliant. I love that, Barry. It's uh, such a great piece of advice. And I, I love that. Uh, talk to everyone about what it is you're doing. Brilliant. Thank you. I've, I've, I've got two questions here. The first one um, is likening uh, lease options to the rent to rent strategy. And so the question is, uh, you know, they're very similar. Why would someone choose rent to rent over lease options? They wouldn't. And so to flip that, why okay. would someone uh, choose me, lease let, options let, over rent to rent? Let me elaborate on that. Let me elaborate on that. Um, the, the facetious answer I know, right? Um, but I, I was taught to invest in property and I teach my students to invest in property, right? To get those properties in, in their portfolio. I eventually want to own those properties. I don't want to borrow them, right? and then give them back to the person that owns them. And it's as simple as that. I want to own them. I want them in my portfolio because most of my properties or all of my properties are in, in my portfolio as part of my pension plan and part of my legacy to my children and my grandchildren. You can't do that if you rent to renting. Brilliant. Thanks, Barry. And uh, last question for me before I hand over to, to Nina. Um, can we lease... Uh, a property for us to live in rather than to rent it out to somebody else yes absolutely yeah and um, one other thing actually i don't know whether the question is going to come up but it's important that i say this as well uh, i think that that whenever i speak to any 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 of my students um they they and i ask them where their investment areas they say oh up north why up north because it's cheaper right a lease option at the moment, 60% of the lease options that we are finding are in London because you don't have to find hundreds of thousand pounds worth of deposit anymore. Yeah, it, this works as well, if not better in London at the moment than it does anywhere else in the country. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, what, a question I've got, um, what importance would you put um, on, you mentioned at the beginning of your talk, Barry, about how with the downturn and how we're expecting possible um, interest rates and, you know, repaying the tax and everything that we've got coming to us. Um, what, what importance would you put on stress testing both your own portfolio and new deals right now? Um, OK, a couple of things there. First of all, um, I believe the interest rates will probably be go, go down still before they go up. We are going to, be, I think that in the next six months, and it's only a guess, so don't quote me on this unless I'm right and then you can, yeah. Um, 
but I believe in the next six months that we will be paying banks to keep our money in there. Yeah, seriously, because if we get down to zero, we will. And there are there are talk. There's talk about negative interest rates. Yeah. So that's the first thing. So we don't need to stress test on a mortgage. The second thing to mention there is the fact that bear in mind that whether it is our property yeah, or a lease option property, we've still got to pay the mortgage. Right? So if the mortgage is up, goes up, we, we pay the increased mortgage. Thirdly, that whilst depending on what happens within the market, um, generally we would normally stress, we would always stress at 6%. Yeah, and we're stressing at six percent because that is what uh, most people know that that a, a lender will stress test at five and a half percent. So we always say six percent simply because it makes the calculations easier. Um, what I would not do in this time going forward is have any more than a seventy-five percent gearing on any of the portfolio. Yeah even if you are a new starter. Now, as it stands at the moment, my gearing is about 50% across the portfolio, but it's taken me nine years to get to that, get to that level. So 50% gearing is ideal. Lenders love you with a 50% a gearing. You, to, you can do cross-collateralization, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, but I would advise anybody starting out or anyone that hasn't got a, a portfolio or it's just got a couple of properties, please don't refinance them any more than, than uh, sort of 75% loan to value, right? Keep that, that gearing because we think, and the smart money, as I've been saying since the beginning of March, and the Economic Centre for, for Fiscal Studies came out and said it about three weeks ago, that properties are going to go down by 14.7%. That is the estimate. Yeah, from pre-COVID, from, from February, basically. Um, I've been saying for nine months that they're going to go down between 10 and 20%. So bang on the money. So I think we're going to lose probably 15% of the property value. Uh, that You should be okay on that if you've got 25% equity in your property. Great answer. Thank you, Barry. Um, I have another question here. Um, so with the benefits of avoiding the initial deposit outlay, yeah. um, I'm guessing that a, a, a refurbishment of the property is, is needed in order to rent it out, depending on the chosen strategy. Do you factor the refurbishment cost in when agreeing a length of lease um, to ensure a sufficient return can be, can be made throughout the whole term of the lease? Boom. Well done to whoever put that question in. Bang on. Yeah. Um, because basically what we would do um, is make sure that the length of the term is enough, is sufficient to get all your money out that you put in the refurb, you use for the refurb, out via the cash flow before you come to the end of the term. Otherwise, you haven't got an option whether or not to, to give it back. Yeah, the only option is that, that you either keep it or you give it back with some money still left in it. So, yeah, absolutely. Work out how, how much cash flow you're going to get out of it. 
um, what put that and divide that into your refurb and work out from there how long you need that to be. The other interesting thing as well, that since you brought that up, Nina, is that bear in mind that with lease options, yeah, because of the way that we structure and because the, the, the way the strategy is, you don't necessarily have to buy properties that need work. You can buy people's homes that are absolutely immaculate, yeah, and over time will give you capital appreciation, yeah, and you don't have to worry about making sure that you're going to add value to them, yeah. So, and quite often on options, there is nothing to be done in the property, N nothing to be done. So it's a really important part you make there because I think people do get caught up in the, in the adding value, but when you're signing them up to a five, seven year term, that's where the value is in the increased property price. So it's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. One last question that we have here. Um, what would be the security um, for the assisted sale? So what if the seller decided to not sell after the refurb? Um, <clears throat> okay, so bear in mind that a lease option is a contract just like any other, right? And is is uh, valid in law, um, and you would be taking the person that in question to court because that is that effectively is a contract that has been signed by yourselves uh, in the presence, technically, and with the legal advice from two solicitors. Yeah, your solicitor, their solicitor. That's the first thing. The other thing is we we wouldn't put a charge on the property uh, necessarily, but what we would always do is put an RX1 on the on the property. Uh, and an RX1, in case anybody doesn't know, is basically a registered interest, right? Uh, you can apply to the land registry to put a registered interest on. And basically what that means is that if they, if the seller, and you would do it for another reason that I'll come back to in a second, actually. Um, uh, you apply to the land registry, put the RX1 on. If that seller tries to do anything, i.e. not give you the money, sell the property, whatever, or more importantly, tries to raise additional funds on that property, you will be notified that that is what is happening. Yeah. Um, because the RX1, the land registry will make sure that, that all the relevant parties uh, that, that are on there will be notified that this is actually happening. And they won't be able to do it. You not, might not be able to stop it, but you will at least know before it happens that they're actually applying for that. Fantastic, Barry. Thank you very much. And before we wrap up, one last question for me, which uh, hopefully will uh, su summarise for um, our listeners this evening. Um, what are the common misunderstandings about lease options and what are the common mistakes that people can make and how do you overcome these? Uh, the biggest misunderstanding is um, it's a scam. Yeah. Uh, and quite often that comes from from the investor, let alone the, the person that, that you're doing the, the, the deal with, uh, it's a scam um, that uh, they are easy to do. Um, they are easy to do if you know what you're doing. 
and one of the biggest things that I will always say to people is if you are going to do this as a strategy, make sure, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me, make sure that you do it, you get taught how to do it properly. Because quite often with the lease option, right, someone could be in financial trouble. That is probably, I'm guessing, 65% of the time. If you have gone in and promised them something that you can get a deal over the line and then for whatever reason that you can't, right, you are dealing with people's lives. And we actually genuinely care about the people that, that we are trying to do business with. Yeah, we've got, as I said, we've got a high degree of integrity and morality with this. Yeah, please, unless you know that you can get this over the line and you know what you're doing, don't try and pitch it when you only know half of the story, right? Now that's not an ad for, for, for uh, a, a training course. That is me not wanting you to go and, and promise something that you can't deliver. Brilliant. Barry, thank you. Wonderful um, advice. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and it's I, I, um, everything you've shared with us has been incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And guys, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about what we do or to get to know us, please visit inspiredequity.com. Join us on our next show for more interactive property discussions. Until then, I wish you good health and continued success. Go out there and be inspired.